When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply episode even though we're only on episode 438 or 9 or whatever the fuck we're on (laughs) roger williams author of my favorite book the metamorphosis of prime intellect it will be on audible at some point before the millennia is out and roger and i before this millennium at least this millennium your voice seems a little gone and i'm guessing that has something to do with what you just said before we start recording i told them I took yesterday off and I always feel a little weird after a day off and he said regardless of what my day was it probably had a better week than him and I said hold on let me start recording and so with that comment and with your voice seemingly gone Roger what the hell is going on well you'll recall uh, I told you last time about the ruptured toilet yes well the day before that when I was at work on Friday, one of my workers came in, you know, one of my coworkers came in dragging ass and looking really ragged and said, don't worry everybody, it's not COVID. Yes, I've got a fever, but don't worry about it. It's just a cold. And so I, I know that because my kids brought it home and then my wife got it from them and I got it from her and it's like, okay, so I've got it. So I'm just going to keep my distance. Like, don't worry about it. It's just a cold. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was just a cold. The incubation period was 48 hours and then it will the fuck out of me after I caught it from him. So my toilet was supposed to be repaired Tuesday afternoon, but we had to cancel that because I was busy being fucking sick as hell in the bed in the master bedroom, which the toilet is off of. And of course, nobody wants to be around a guy who is like, uh, got a massive fever and Lo- all that shit. Losing it from both ends. Yeah. And, and so, uh, but yeah, it was cold. It yeah, you know, it only lasted about uh, two and a half days. Once the thing is like, I went to work Monday, ate a robust lunch, felt great. Had you know, it's like all right. Got home and when my wife served me dinner. I ate two bites and I realized that if I ate the third, it was going to all come up. That was like, yeah. and and so I was like, all right, put it in the box. It's like and you know, it's like I'm old. You know, my digestion sometimes is off. That's one of the things that happens to you in these things. You know, but I was like sitting exactly here, just surfing the web and all that, and but feeling worse and worse. And I finally was like realizing, you know, I think it feels almost like I have a fever. And so after uh, over a year of having my fucking temperature checked every time I go in and out of a building or a facility or anything never it's always 97.4 I went got the thermometer my temperature was 101.5 it's like son of a bitch and 
I did not eat anything or get more than five minutes of sleep at a time from Monday afternoon through Thursday morning. And so so I actually went to work Thursday. The fever broke uh, Wednesday afternoon. So I went to work Thursday, but I was punchy as hell. I mean, I was in bad shape. But there was stuff that needed to be done, which I'm sure was Kevin's excuse for coming to work with the virus the previous Friday. Thanks, Kevin. Fucking Kevin. Uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Classic. Uh, Kevin. Classic. So yeah. So so I'm still. It's like I ate the first portion of meat that I have eaten since last Sunday this morning. <laughs> you know, it kind of it kind of makes sense that back in the day when people would get fevers. They were like 50% certain that they were under the weather. They were 50% certain that they were possessed. I mean, it makes sense, right? <laughs> like, well, yeah, but, invisible, well, you feel crazy as yeah, hell. An invisible foe, you're vomiting, and it's like, oh, well, God is clearly battling demons yeah. within my body, and I guess this is it. <laughs> oh, and I made my first use ever of the wonderful new pull-off turn, you know, uh, emergency uh, shoulder things that they installed on the causeway at the cost of hundreds of millions of dollars so that I could open the door and vomit instead of doing it in the car on my way home. So it was like, yeah, it was, it's was. it been that kind of week for me. It was, <laughs> I'm sorry, man. It's, uh, I'm sorry. That sucks. Uh, it it kind of did but there's there's there is also something about like a fever that it kind of it kind of makes you grateful for when you don't have a fever right you get lulled it's an altered it's an altered state of consciousness yeah you get lulled into just gotta go to work gotta do x gotta do y it's very easy to start bitching about things yeah until you know, it's like it, like two or three times a year, and now I'm going to fucking jinx it. Like two or three times a year, like I do something to my neck where like I can't move it right or like I can't do podcasts. I can't do anything. It doesn't even feel good to lay down. There's no comfortable position, but where like I can't move my head left or right. And it, I mean, it, it's very, very painful. I hate the heat, but I have to put like heat packs on it. And there's something about when that happens that it almost it's almost good because then you're so aware of when you don't have it that you're like I, went, I woke up and went to the gym today and you're like there's something about fevers that just sort of kick you in the dick and punch you in the face and then when you don't feel like shit and you can just go yeah. eat a lunch or you can look at like a fucking Big Mac and not vomit there's something beautiful about that <laughs> I don't know no, and, and, oh, it's, it, it, this is the sickest that I've been in at least four years and the, the thing is that the the guy who, who who did this is like okay he's got school-age kids and so they bring shit home all yeah. the time and so what happens when you have school-age kids i don't have school-age kids and so i have none of these micro immunities that you build up because you're exposed to these things that your little sprogs are coming home with 
Do you and, think? And, and, do you think that's so, a, Do you think that's evolution? They, they, we, you don't, because you, in in the selfish viewpoint of natural selection, because you're not rearing kids, it's like you are an extra. You are an extra. You don't get microimmunities. Be gone with you. Well, no, because it's our our culture that arranges things this way. It would be totally different in uh, a hunter gatherer society true. with the matriarch. That's yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, I mean, no, no previous human society has ever actually raised kids the way that we do That's and true. had schools arranged the way that we do and all this. I mean, this is very, very new and artificial. <laughs> like what, that's a that's a whole topic in itself. Kind of like Duncan Trussell. He was the comedian. He was like, man, I remember taking acid and going to high school one day in like the 80s or the 70s in North Carolina. Mm. And it was that moment that I realized that, man, this was just a government. This was a this was a government run work camp for kids six through 18. <laughs> he was like they were a government yeah. indoctrination camp. And he was like, I had these like that was the least fun acid trip I'd ever had. <laughs> <laughs> he's like he was like I remember sitting in But he was right. Yeah. He was like I remember sitting in he, he was right. Yeah. There 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 is a book and and in fact it is online. Let me sub because I you know names and escape me. Do you think um, I could get Ted Kaczynski uh, on this podcast? Uh if if you can get through the warden, uh probably. Well, I've already contacted the jail where he is, and I got no response. Okay. So uh, there is a guy named John Taylor Gatto who was, uh, like, teacher of the year for the state of New York, won a bunch of awards, and uh, wrote an infamous essay called I Think I Quit, uh, which was – widely published where he he basically explained why he thought that the purpose of the schools was no longer to educate and that was some years ago but he followed that up by writing a book an epic book it's you know uh similar to the making of the atomic bomb or the uh uh history uh, the, the Colin Wilson book that I showed you last time but this is the underground history of American education and uh, it, it is a must read if you have any interest in the education system at all and basically many of the major features of our modern education system were imported from a system that was invented by the Prussians to deliberately make sure that uh, their proletariat class did not get too smart or mm -hmm. too well educated. And it was designed to make education boring and uh, to limit what you could learn. And for various reasons, several groups that would normally be at each other's throats in any other context, all pounced on this and agreed that this was the best way to do things. And he explains this in great depth. I mean, this is this is a fairly long book, but the book is available online. 
if, if you Google it, uh, you know, John Taylor Gatto has it on his website. Uh, and, uh, you know, free, free to, to download. You could probably feed it to the robot. Um, and it, it, it starts at the beginning. And, and one of the cases that he makes is that if you look at like people like the founders, like George Washington worked as a surveyor, okay? No one ever taught him that. He didn't go to college. He didn't go to high school. He didn't go to any of these things. He started out by apprenticing with a surveyor. And he learned a lot of very complicated math and he learned it in a very short time. And the reason that he learned it was that he was using it mm. and he was being taught practical applications. Similarly, he said, most people learn to read if they were being taught to read in a matter of weeks yeah. by uh, being taught to sound out the words by phonics. Now, when I was a kid, it was uh, I was at the vanguard of uh, this really stupid thing where uh, new methods were being rolled out that were not proven. In fact, most of them turned out to not, not work nearly as well as anything that had gone before. And uh, the you hear a lot of complaints now about the new math, uh, you know, and. Well, there was the new math when I was a kid, and now there's the newer math. And it's like, and, and, and the way that they do this is even if you get the correct answer on the test, if you didn't do it right yeah. by, the, by the method that they're teaching, which is often much more convoluted than the traditional method that we were taught, then you are marked wrong because you didn't do it the way you were supposed to. And to me this is like i don't think i would have graduated from high school if i was a child today i mean roger you know how much of a of a student i was college i was serious i took school mm -hmm. I, mean, I was a straight a student i remember taking general chemistry two at the university of georgia and i remember i was getting like c's on tests on tests because i wasn't rounding up the fourth significant figure or something but like but I was like the only one in the class getting the right answer the answer would be you know 33 point you know 133 grams of nitrogen yeah. and no one was getting close I was the one doing the molar mass I was getting the equation right this balancing the stoichiometric equation but I was getting it wrong because like the and I was like what are we what are we doing here like I'm I'm answering the question that no one else in this 300-person class is getting right, but I'm getting it marked wrong because... because that is what education has turned into today. It's, you know, I've... It's, 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 it's hard for me to take one stance or the other, because on one hand, I loved college. I loved learning about biology. Um, I was a straight-A student, and I, I really did love the sciences. On the other hand, I look at something like graphic design. I taught myself... I mean... I taught myself graphic design. Yeah. And then once I finally Well, it's good to have a it's good to have a balance between the arts and the sciences. 
that's 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 the thing is I, I think that's one of the reasons that I, I like your approach so much is that you do appreciate both when you get a guest who is a hard science guy or you get a guest who is much more uh, on on the art side you can appreciate both of them and a lot of people are on one side or the other you know it's it's very difficult to get both of those things in a balance and be yeah. able to appreciate them and how they interact with one another uh-huh. um and the schools today seem to be defiantly arranged to prevent anyone from ever reaching that. Cross-contamination. Uh, they, they want... Yeah. Yeah, well, they, what they want is to indoctrinate very particular ways of thinking, even at the level of how you do math. Yeah. To the, to the point where if you do long division the way your father taught you, instead of the way that they're trying to teach you, even if you get the correct answer, they're going to mark it wrong. Yeah. And to me, that is just evil. I mean, I, I, I just, uh, I was, uh, I had a rebellious streak when I was young and, 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 uh, and I went to a Catholic high school. Yeah, so they, 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 they put up with a lot for me, but it was, there was, you know, we were at the margins a few times. Uh, and, I, I had no tolerance for bullshit. I, I, I've I've always just like had uh, a very finely calibrated bullshit detector, and uh, it's like the the girl in the golden compass. It's like no, it's like you're telling me bullshit, and I'm not going to just regurgitate it to you because you tell me I have to. That's bullshit. It's mm-hmm. like I know it's bullshit, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the problem is is that as bad as it was for me in the 1970s to have to deal with that it's an order of magnitude worse today yeah. uh every, every everything is, is like you know no you have to uh, tell, i mean everything is taught to the test and the test is about regurgitating it exactly right and it's like they're not teaching thinking skills at all at least the school that i went to prided itself on trying to uh, foster thinking skills. Even though I was at loggerheads with the management most of the time I was there, they gave me a silver medallion for free, you know, for uh, free thinking. When I graduated, they, you know, they said, they, you know, it was, it was uh, for, the, for the quest for truth. It's- and, uh, you know, I appreciated the fact that they appreciated that about me. Um, but I think now, you know, nowadays, I think it would be very hard to find an educational institution that could even uh, say that with a straight face. Well, I, I think there's what what I'm learning is like what I've learned is like teaching myself graphic design because I wanted to like design something you know like George Washington mm-hmm. just surveying because it's what he had to do and yeah, then I finally started online graphic design courses in August 2019 and I did about six to eight months of them and I finally stopped and focused on the podcast but it was like I was doing that and I was finding that like I wasn't getting any better at anything they were trying to create this science around they had these courses and it seemed like it was just existing to perpetuate itself people who taught the courses Mm -hmm. and now with podcasting you know i can only imagine that there's probably you can probably 
I mean, with Joe Rogan, I mean, I would imagine that probably there's probably podcasting majors at colleges now. And I think like, I can, I can only imagine what they are. Like you need to choose a topic. Here's how, and they try to break it down to a thing. But the reality is, is like what you have to do is you just, my, my older brother is, uh, is fluent in Spanish. And he said the best thing ever is just to go live in a Spanish country. It forces you to do it and you learn it a lot quicker and you'll, you'll learn it practically. And you're not too worried about, well, is this a past participle of a, of a verb? And it's like, no, you just learn how to talk at, you know, order beans. Yeah. And, with podcasting it's like i'm sure there are courses out there and it's like this you're gonna want a beginning you're gonna want but it's like no dude the only way you're gonna learn is like you just start and after a couple episodes you realize that's what john taylor gatto basically says is that if you put a human being in a position where he needs knowledge and has access to it he will acquire that knowledge at a fantastic almost unbelievable rate and that's shown over and over again where, where you see it a lot uh or saw it a lot in my experience was in the early computers with the, the early early hackers in the 8-bit computer era where people would teach themselves the basics of computing I mean, I did this myself, uh, and, and people would teach themselves in a matter of weeks what uh, people a generation before them would have taken, you know, an entire year of computer science to understand mm-hmm. because you're trying to use it to move the little, little stupid spaceship around on the screen, you know, and that is very highly motivational, especially when you have that direct feedback. It was, it was a huge thing. Uh, when computers became, uh, oh, uh, when 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 you could just type something on the console and boom, it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to you create a bunch of cards and submit them, and you come back a few hours later and they've run your job, which is how it happened in uh, for the most part in the '60s. Uh, and the the thing is is is, is that you've got. A lot, you know, Gatto makes a very strong case about all of the interest groups who have shaped how education uh, is done now and what their motives were and how those motives have failed and also how groups that you would normally think are at cross interests formed into an unholy alliance to turn schools into uh, almost a hellscape where anyone who is a little bit different is hounded out. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, life is made miserable unless you conform. And uh, I was very fortunate that my Catholic high school put up with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that uh, if I was even in a public school today, I probably uh, would have just left. Yeah, uh, it, uh, yeah. Again, uh, you know, I think graphic design courses, and they'd be like, "All right, you need to have, you need to do a design yeah. with eight layers, and you need to make sure to layer the na- label the different layers in the Photoshop app." And like, I would get an A on it by doing what they wanted. But it would, if you just looked at the p- piece of art, if you could even call it that, you'd be like, "What is this?" 
and then I it would, would be shit. Yeah, and then yeah. I'd, I'd I'd submit my like Pharaoh thing, and it was like, you know, you look at it and you'd be like, what the fuck is this thing? And then it's like, well, you did it on an iPad, and you you were supposed to do it on you know, you know, CYMK color, and I was just like, what's what's the purpose of this class? Is it to is it to do the is it to do the app the way you want it, or is it to create crazy shit? Like Bob Lazar. No, it's to do the app the way you want it. It's to, yeah. it's to conform. It's like it's to conform. Yeah, and it's everything like, about school now is about conforming yeah. to the box that you are supposed to be fitting in. And if you don't fit inside that box, no matter how smart you are, no matter how good your product is, uh, no matter what, then you fail. Because you're not becoming what is expected. You're not the product that that school is supposed to be producing. I guarantee and, you this, yeah. this podcast would fail if I submitted this podcast <laughs> in like a podcast college course. Guarantee you it would fail. They'd, they'd say you of have course. to sit in the center of the screen. They'd probably be saying, uh, I don't know, I'd have to have an introduction. Where's your intro? Where's the intro music? You got to have it's showing that people get familiar to an opening riff. So you're going to want that. Tommy, where are the graphics that say the name of the podcast? And you have yet to say like, share and subscribe. And, you know, you're not. Why, why aren't you wearing a collared <laughs> shirt? You should be introducing your guests with at least two minutes of reading off a resume. And it's like, but in the real world, how does this work? It's turned into a fun thing that people love doing. Everyone comes back at least one more time to the point where I've got yeah. someone investing actual capital in it. And in and in 15 months or six, whatever. And it's because you're not doing that. Exactly. You're doing That's something what I mean. different. That's what I mean. You're doing it, you're doing it from, the heart, from uh, your heart. Yeah. Fuck you know, it. You, do it, it live. Yeah. <laughs> Go and Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. <laughs> fuck it. Do it live. I'll get it. We'll do it live. But it's this would fail. If I submitted this as some project, it would fail. Regardless of the fact that you and I have great conversations or I've had on a guy that's walked on the fucking moon, they would give me points off because, like, the the, the screen recording wasn't centered. And it'd be like, wait, this guy met Kennedy. He walked on the moon. Mm -hmm. He he sat on top of the Saturn V. And they'd be like, well, you didn't bump up the, the saturation on the video. And you're going to want it to pop. The thumbnail wasn't. It'd be like, are we? What the fuck are we doing here? You know, what, what are we doing here? It's... It yeah, it would it would absolutely fail. But I was thinking, as you're saying, yeah, these school does sort of select for those that can form. In a way, could yeah. you say that there's an even? I, I I suspect one of the reasons that your investor is funding you is that he sees that you are doing an interesting thing by the seat of your pants, and he wants to see where it will go because. You're not doing it by the formula, and yet you are doing something that is interesting and looks like it might succeed. Yeah. And that—that that is the formula that a lot of investment capital looks for. You know, it, it's uh, you know, because everyone is doing the same goddamn thing. You know, right now the big thing is reaction videos to songs. And I have to blow admit, I like fucking, looking. I'll blow my fucking brain. I mean, <laughs> am, am I giving you news here? <laughs> no, it's it's. But no, there's a. I think it's. I think it's Casey. Casey Neistat. But the thing is, there was a, there were a few things. There were few people who were doing it, and it was really interesting sure. for a bit. And now, everyone and their dog is doing reaction videos. 
Yeah. So it's like, and to the same songs. So it's like, it's getting fucking old. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, you, you establish a formula like that and following the formula is not the way to success because by the time the formula has been established, everyone else can read the formula too. Yeah. It's, and I think it was Casey Neistat who I don't even really like or dislike, but he had a quote and he was like in the creative space, if you want to succeed or sorry, yeah, if you want to succeed in the creative space, if you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing it wrong. And that's what Mm -hmm. I think of is like, yeah, I'm just, what do I do? I just eat. I, I remember early on emailing guests I was like five episodes in and someone responded with this isn't how you're supposed to go about building a podcast just randomly emailing people who you think (laughs) might be interesting and I remember I just said like thank you for the feedback and you know nothing bratty even though I wanted to be like fuck you I'm gonna burn your house down I was just like thank you but it was like if you're doing what everyone else is doing you're doing it wrong so it's like what way do I go about it I'd have on Roger because I like talking to Roger and then I'm going to have on a guy that swims with sharks and I'm going to what am I going to do I'm going to wear my hoodies that I designed about Post Malone why because fuck you why not and it's just and you know eventually it will work and someone will try to reverse engineer this whole podcast. They'll go back to episode one. And they'll be like, what led to Tommy's success? And they'll turn it into a formula and be like, take this master class and do what Tommy did. And it's like, well, it's not it's not a new thing anymore. Now you're you're still not doing yeah, by that original. time. By that time, you're going to need to do something different well, because you've already done this. It's it's Stephen. So King, Stephen King wrote a book called On Writing. And it's uh, mm-hmm. it's about it. yeah yeah yeah. And I remember, <laughs> I remember I started to read it and then I stopped. And this is back when I wanted to be a writer back in like 2016. And I remember I stopped reading it because my logic was, is Stephen King is saying all of this after he's become a successful writer. He didn't have this beforehand, so so I don't want his advice yeah. because he didn't have advice. I, I will say this in defense of Stephen King is that uh, he went from being a nobody to getting a $400,000 contract for Carrie in an afternoon. And he didn't really expect it. So when he wrote Carrie, uh, now I don't know if you've ever read Carrie, uh, it's very different from any of his following books. And it's also very different from the movie that was made. I mean, the the plot is the same, but the way that it was written was very experimental. And this is the thing about Stephen King, particularly the early Stephen King. I I think there, there, there are two Stephen Kings. There's before it Stephen King and after it Stephen King. Uh, before it, he was the great American novelist. Every novel he wrote, even the ones where he was coked up to the to the gills and drunk out of his ass and no one was editing him, were still fucking brilliant. Uh, and he had his ear to the pulse of, of everything. Uh, he managed to be concise. He managed to distill a lot of really incredible detail about the experience of being an American particularly about being a Maine resident uh, into a a relatively modest amount of prose, really. Um, And 
Carrie, though, was a very thin book. Just like, you know, that thick. And it was written, uh, half of the book is in flashbacks by researchers who are trying to figure out what the hell happened. Uh, and it, it's very unlike anything he ever wrote after that, but it's also still very much a Stephen King novel. And the thing is, I think what made Carrie work was that he didn't care whether, I mean, he threw the book in the garbage. Yeah, his wife told him to take it out of the trash. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, he was like, well, I can't, you know, be a male writer writing a novel about a teenage discovering menstruation the hard way. And no, and his wife pulled it out of the trash. Uh, so, but then once he was that successful, that, that, even that bit of success kind of put the brakes on him being that experimental. But, you know, the, the novel Carrie is an experience. It, it's not long. It's, it's probably, I would say it, it's probably even shorter than Moby. At the very, it, it, at the very longest, it's, it's, it's about the same length as my novel. And it was very experimental. It, it had a lot in common in that sense. And I learned a lot from Stephen King reading his, his work, uh, in the eighties, uh, just because, uh, because he was unafraid, and you know, and after Carrie, when he's he, when he was successful, of course, his next project, I think his next project was Salem's Lot, and he did he did several novels that were really stupidly long, uh, of course, culminating there with the Stand, uh, and but the, he he sprinkled them with things that were not supposed to be there, uh, little experimental prose techniques uh, and you know the ways of using text on the page and that's a thing that uh, I did myself some because you know like I said you know was, you know no one taught me to do it but uh, there are certain things that I learned from Stephen King and you know, early Stephen King reading his books and it's like don't don't be afraid to mash the text around or uh, make it up and 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 uh, you know put in a weird indentation to give the audience an idea that you just entered an alternate reality or something. And he, you know, and one of the things that he does that I hate is uh, he does this goofy shtick. Well, I'm just telling stories. I'm just an ordinary guy. He's an ordinary guy who is teaching literature in college. When he got the phone call and found out that Carrie had been sold. You know, this is a guy who knew what he was doing. And, but unlike most people he wasn't afraid to do something different because he I, th I don't think he had really 
any expectation that it would go anywhere. And I think he was probably the most surprised person in the observable universe when his agent called him and said, are you sitting down? Uh, they're going to pay you $400,000 for an advance. And, you know, he, he, that's one of the things he writes about in on writing. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, but, uh, his advice is not bad in that book because that's early Stephen King talking. And he did actually go out on a limb. He wasn't doing it to a formula. And he doesn't advise that you do it to a formula. He He's actually at that point still uh, going, you know, it's like being, you know, being a horror writer was considered the kiss of death as far as mainstream distribution in his day and he's like no this is what i find interesting and one of the things that he did was he demonstrated that if there is such a thing as a great american novel it's probably a horror novel because that's where our national narrative goes that's where our consciousness is and uh that's a thing you know all of the people throughout the early 20th century who were consciously trying to write the great American novel, all failing miserably. And I would say Salem's Lot and The Stand are probably two of your top contenders for that uh, stop in, in all of American history. Now, then after he wrote it, he ran out of ideas, which is a whole different thing. But, uh, but, but no, it's, I, I, uh, I do have a tremendous respect for uh, Stephen King, which is how I think we got onto this. Yeah, no, it, it, it yeah, it's, it, it does seem like by the time something's broken down, and I mean, unless it's an actual science class, it seems like by the time mm-hmm. something's broken down into a science you're not you're not getting anything like i think you just need to it's like i've told you you know aside from pause aside from muting games and listening to audiobooks my favorite way to play a video game is to mute it or not kill everybody yeah yeah, kill everybody (laughs) but what i'll do is i'll i'll turn off subtitles i'll turn off all hints and tutorials i'll turn off the map and i'll just kind of start playing and when because otherwise if let's say you turn on a game and it's like press th- press A to pull out your gun press B to do this and when you see this it's time to do that when you take away all of those sort of guiding principles like teaching about how to do the math problem and instead you just say you know here's the cheese at the center of the maze go yeah. instead of being, did you kill all the guys or not yeah exactly if you killed all the guys you won the level it's yeah instead of i mean instead of ushering you into who's, the maze, who's to say how you did it yeah instead of ushering you into the maze where the cheese is in the center and saying like all right when you want to come to this you go right when you come to a left turn go left instead if you just say there's cheese at the center let it go who knows? Maybe you're going to make like a catapult and throw yourself into the center or you're going to learn how to bulldoze the walls. <laughs> and it's like when you guide people along in certain ways, you remove you remove like how to you remove how to get people to win. Like there's. Yeah. yeah. And this is like this. And this is like the schools telling people that the way your father did long division is wrong, even though it results in the correct result, because we want you to do it this way 
other way. Yeah. That is actually harder and more involved, has more steps, introduces more uh, uh, occasion for error. But we're telling you that uh, in the course of time, this way of thinking that we're teaching you by making you do it this way will be useful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... For what? It almost... It's like... What I want, to, what I want the utility for, is to get the correct answer. Yeah. To you know, if uh, I, I, I mean, I think if you, uh, my my early lesson in this occurred in the tenth grade. I had a biology teacher who depended very heavily on uh, just you know, tests and materials that he got you know well downloading wasn't a thing back then but you know that he got on you know, got online it's online mail order literally um and so there was a question on one of the sample tests that said uh true or false anton von leeuwenhoek invented the compound microscope and the answer to that is false because Anton von Leeuwenhoek invented the microscope, but he his microscopes consisted of water drops suspended in a little metal loop that he used like this. And those are not compound microscopes. And the teacher told me, uh, you know, he marked my answer wrong. He said, no, uh, Lanwick invented the compound microscope. And I brought in a stack of books this high, all of which bookmarked showing the math that Anton von Lanwick never saw a compound microscope in his life. And the teacher just said, this is the answer that is required on the test if you don't give it it will be marked wrong yeah and that was an early lesson for me in authoritarianism and stupidity mm -hmm. uh which are often co-aligned um so that you know if if that was meant to imbue me with a sense of respect for my elders and the educational system it did exactly the opposite because I knew I had multiple sources from all through history. I mean, I had Isaac Asimov was one of the sources that I had. I mean, you know, I had everyone agreeing that this was the case. And it was like, no, no, if you don't give this answer, then you'll be marked wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And. And and that was and, and that was and, and the stupid thing about it, it wasn't even ideological. The other thing that was similar in that part of my life was we had the six week civics course that the state of Louisiana required at that time, and uh, Coach Johnson told us at the very beginning. At the end of this course, there will be a 20 answer true false test. And one of the questions on that test will be communism is evil, true or false. 
if you do not answer true, you will fail this course. Just letting you know. Now, the level of contempt that I have for the people that arranged for that to happen cannot be exaggerated. I, 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 I mean, it is, it is impossible for me to imagine having more contempt for a person. Not, not hatred. I can hate people way more than I do those, but just contempt. Because to, to set up a situation like that just requires a level of contempt on your part mm-hmm. for the truth and the facts of history and basically anything meaningful that makes it impossible for me to have anything but contempt for you. Yeah. That, that's like, I'm sorry, there, there we are. But on the other hand, here I am in 10th grade, high school student, and well, I mean, uh, yeah, I can jeopardize my grade point average by do you know by telling the truth or do what I know is wrong to keep everything going level and at the time I'm doing it I know that it's wrong it, that this is this is evil this is this is just this is a bunch of of absolute fascists just uh, you know, propagandizing people who are helpless and there is nothing good about it. And the fact that I remember it so well, when I really don't remember much of anything, I mean, my memory is shit, but I remember that like it was yesterday. Uh, and, you know, and I'm 57 years old. It's like, uh, yeah, you accomplished something with that. It probably wasn't what you intended to, though. Yeah, there's a, there's, there is something evil about people that, people that put that twist on education. It's, you know, I I remember I vividly remember I had a political science professor my junior year of of college and maybe senior and i remember he was a he was a very liberal guy and i remember our book was clearly written with a liberal tint but he would always make it it wasn't his book he would always go out of his way to say like you can see like this person really hates George Bush and it's like, well, you know, and that does like affect like your ability to see what happened and he's teaching X, Y, and Z. So this entire time I thought he was like a conservative professor. And I remember at the end of the semester, Mm -hmm. because I picked it up, I remember reading it and I was like, this kind of seems, this textbook seemed a little more like a, like a salon article. And I remember going up to him and I was like, Hey man, I appreciate you kind of like pointing it out. And and he was like, and and we got talking. It turns out this dude's super liberal. And I was like, that's, I was like, I wouldn't have expected that. And he was like, I am liberal. And he was like, and this book is very liberal. But he was like, 
my job is to teach you about like pol- you know United States politics between 2001 and 2009 that's what the course is and he was like it's not to <laughs> twist your mind and I always respected that because he was like his thing was he was here to present you the course and teach you the course and you form your own opinion compared to I remember having a professor in German who was a a a much makes you look conservative Roger and I remember (laughs) I could directly correlate like my grades on something and it had nothing to do with my ability to structure a sentence it was all about what stance I took and despite being conservative I remember slowly just learning to write a liberal opinion about things and that's how I got an A and I just remember thinking like like what lesson is that teaching that that lesson's teaching conform conform to the opinion of your of your higher up and you'll succeed and it was the political science teacher taught taught me to leave my opinion at the door and to examine facts which is a brilliant lesson that extends beyond college Mm -hmm. the german ta that lesson was the grammar itself isn't important in a german class (laughs) it is to make sure that you say x is evil and y is good well, in, de- in defense, though, of that guy, I will say the Germans have a particular reason. She wasn't German. She was, <laughs> she was, a, she was a white girl like two years older than me who, who taught German. Oh? Who taught German grammar. This wasn't a class on Germany. This was I chose German instead of Spanish because it, was, it fit into my schedule. Hmm. This bitch is as German as me, okay? Which is none. <laughs> all right? I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know, Tommy. You look like you got blue eyes and... No, I'm Irish, dude. Some people think I'm German. I'm Irish, dude. I'm a fucking dirty mech. It's but I I've I I've always remembered that and just like that's I think that's part of the reason why I try to entertain liberal ideas on my podcast, because I don't want I don't want people to listen to this and then for me to slip in my tint on things. Because to me that is that's the exact opposite of formulating your own opinion. I have my yes. opinion. That's the reason why I don't watch conservative news. I don't need anyone to reinforce my opinion. I know what my opinion is, and when I look at it on the graph, it just so happens to say conservative. I don't know. I don't need to know what the conservative talking points are. I don't need to know that I'm straight. No one has to remind me that she's hot and that I'm not attracted to that guy. I just am, and it just so happens to be defined as heterosexual. But like, I don't need anyone to reinforce it. I just think that especially young formative minds who are more intimidated about getting an A so they don't lose like, you know, tuition assistance. So they go, they go, fuck it. They go, fuck it. George Bush evil. Even if like that probably is objectively true. That's not the course. The course is to learn so that in the future you can formulate your own opinion. So when you are an adult, you can look at someone and go, that's probably not a good president or that senator's okay. But when you push it into, it'd be like, It'd be like if you only could, it'd be like if I only had on conservative guests. Well, what would you learn if you wanted to get on the podcast to plug your book? You'd learn to, hey, suck it up and just repeat conservative talking points. That's not teaching you anything. You're not, you're not, what are you learning? You're learning to submit to the opinion of the power structure. And that is just what perpetuates this shit. There's, to me, there's, you know, pedophilia is pretty bad, but there's not much more evil than like, than, than affecting the learning system by injecting your political biases 
So it's just repeat this opinion and you get an ad. You hear about it all the time. People are like, my, can, my professor's super Republican. Just agree with his viewpoints and you'll get an A. It, that's, that's how many steps removed is that from, I, I was just following orders. Like, like yeah. that's what leads to it. We always think, well, how does it happen? It, it, it doesn't happen overnight. The, the, what leads to people going, I was just driving the trains. I didn't know who was in there. I figured they were criminals. <laughs> I, was just, I, I was just putting the Zycon B pellets in there. That's, I was just following yeah. orders. What well, always becomes. They told well, me they were drain cleaner. Yeah, I was. <laughs> well, you know, what was it? Is, well, I didn't agree with the Zyklon B pellets, but, you know, my my superior, he he cut the checks, and I, well, you know, instead of a GPA, it's I wanted to get money to feed my wife. So I didn't question it. You know, personally, I didn't agree with the Zyklon B, but, you know, I was just trying to get an A in officer school. So I put the Zyklon B in. But that's how it leads. And no, I know that's hyperbole. Not everything leads to that. But in general. Not totally. I mean, not I mean, yet. actually, that's almost exactly how it happened in Germany. But what I mean, I mean is, what I mean uh, is, not every time. Sometimes it just leads to people like you and I, you know, getting fired up about shitty memories. But it's like, and and I know that's also hyperbole. Like, we're these are first world problems. I get it. They're not shitty things. But like, <laughs> in general, I just, I, I just hate the idea of, you know, it's, yeah. it's well, talking with the educational system is a particularly nasty thing because this is actually a deliberate attempt to mold the next generation uh, so that they can't, you know, so, so they basically can't think the wrong thing that you don't think should be thought. Uh, it's, it is, yeah. And it's, and, and I know that that's a sensitive thing with you. Because, no, no, no. Well, what I was going to say is to me, to me, that there, there are apples and oranges. You know, we could we could then turn this to YouTube and, you know, could you extrapolate it to YouTube? You know, don't post the wrong thing. And I would say, no, it's a private company. I don't have to be here. Yes, it is the biggest platform. There are other platforms. They're harder to get your channel going on those because they're smaller. But, hey, no, you know, I'm not owed anything. So I can just fuck right off. I get it. It's now. Could I morally say I don't think it's good to ban things you don't like? Sure. But YouTube is not my company. Just like at any given moment, I could stop having you on my podcast from here on out. And people might say, yeah. Tommy, you used to balance your podcast out with liberals. And I would say, yeah, now fuck right off. It's a private thing. I built it from the ground up. I paid for all these sound panels. I designed these hoodies. And I decided I don't <laughs> want liberal viewpoints on my podcast anymore. And guess what? I'm allowed to do that. So if at some given point, mm-hmm. YouTube, despite being this massive platform, of it's a digital town square – they are allowed to at some point say this is just what we view and this is just what we view most most towns that have actual town squares roger actually shut the fuck up (laughs) (laughs) uh do actually exercise some limits on what people can do in the towns the point is this roger because the point is this it's a private company and they can do it and you know my opinions on it you know how much i disagree Mm -hmm. with it but no one is forcing me to be here. No one's forcing me to do a podcast. I could very well go to medical school and not have to worry about any of this. When you're in school and you have to get the degree from here and you're staying in state because tuition's cheaper and you want to go to medical school or you want to go to law school and it doesn't matter that this political science course has nothing to do with cellular biology, but you got to check that box and you want an A so that your GPA doesn't sink below because when they're going through 10,000 applications at a medical school and they're just going at a glance who has lower than the 3.9, you're going to suck the dick and you're going to try to get the A. What that is doing is that is pressing your opinion on people who don't 
have a say in the matter. They just want to get an A. Or you're even younger and it's not even medical school. You're like, I just want to get an A on the test so I don't get grounded or so I can go out to recess. Mm -hmm. YouTube is different. I don't have to be here. I can go to a different platform. I can fuck right off. I get it. I don't agree with it, but I don't see a necessarily an evil to uh, yes but no it's not the same thing where it's a school where it's like dude i can't just i can't just say uh i'm gonna go take my political science course at georgia tech because i don't like taking it at uga you can't do that you have to take the credit there yeah and it's it's to me and if you're a teenager you don't have the option to not go to school yeah i mean and what that was the thing about that that's the thing about that civics course with the communism is evil thing is every teenager in the state of Louisiana was required, no matter what school uh-huh. you went to, whether it was private or public, you you could not get a diploma if you did not take that six-week course and pass the exam, which you could not pass if you did not check the communism is evil true box. Yeah, and it's, and you know, some people would say, well, why don't you just check the box and get an A? And yeah, sure, I get that. And, you know, you know me, I probably would have done it anyway. But it's, it is, you know, I think back to like, you know, where I went to high school. I went to private Catholic high school. What am I going to do? Tell my parents, hey, I don't agree with that teacher. You fuck off. We're paying tuition so that you can get yeah. a leg up, you know. But I'll, despite being in a, at a private Catholic high school in the deep south, I'll never forget Father Lopez, who you had to pass his class senior year. And this guy, you know, he's as, as religious as you get. But you could, in his course, you could raise your hand and you could say, I, you know, I, with all due respect, I think this is all... You know, and within, you know, proper, I guess, uh, manners, you know, it is, you'd say, you I wouldn't th- say horseshit. You could say, you I would- think this is crap. <laughs> I think the universe is a cold, dead place. And he would smile and say, you know, ex- explain your stance, son. And even, and he would, and he would argue back. But at the end of the course, he would ultimately say, like, good talk. And he would smile and say, good talk. And he genuinely meant it because he was there to teach you. He was there to teach you. And if you said, you know, I don't agree with now if the test was repetition, who is this saint? Well, you got to learn the information. It's a test no different than a history course. But you would never you would never you never even felt the slightest hint that I won't do well in this class if I don't say, yes, this is God and this is the Holy Spirit. You could raise your hand and say, I think this is crap. I just read, you know, the God delusion by Richard Hawkins or Dawkins or whatever the fuck <laughs> his name is. And you could go on there and say that and he would smile and entertain it. And he and he genuinely entertained it. And that's what a teacher yeah. does is they teach you how to think, not how to think like them. That was pretty much how uh, most of the teachers at at my Catholic high school were, too. And that's the thing that's not uh, widely understood. Now, where was your high school? Atlanta. uh, Geographically. Atlanta. Atlanta? I think it was was technically the Atlanta city limits, but it was like like a half hour from the skyline. See, in New Orleans, the the Catholic high schools are basically the the secular high schools that you send your kids to if you want them to go to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the private, you know, there the, there's only one or two private high schools. They're c- considered crap, and of course, the public schools are just like no one in their right mind sends their kids there. Uh, so, uh, you know, the but the thing is, so they had. Uh, things in place to deal with kids whose parents were not Catholic. It was an expected thing that a fairly large 
uh, fraction of their student body would not even be Catholic. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was there was a form that your parents would sign, and so we would be exempted from the the liturgical stuff. So we wouldn't have to go to mass when. Mm-hmm. things like that were done and all now we still did have to take the religion course and we still had to learn uh things yeah. like the stations of the cross yeah. and the various sure. little details of catholic liturgy and frankly i'm glad of that because sure. that's one of the things that uh being raised baptist you're just told well that doesn't matter it's all bullshit mm-hmm. and you, you find out no there's a rich history there and i wouldn't know that if i had been taught it by my Catholic high school, um, and and like you said, they 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 had a tolerance for uh, there's like everybody knew by the time I graduated that I had become a flaming atheist. Mm-hmm. I was it's like I had completely lost uh, even my Southern Baptist faith, and I wasn't shy about it. I was like, you know, in that phase where you know, you're you're just sort of raging that. Why does anybody believe this bullshit? Mm-hmm. And they still gave me a silver medal uh, on my graduation uh, for my diligence in the pursuit for truth. Mm-hmm. So uh, they they had an appreciation that, you know, this is where it goes. Now, you know, no one does this better than the Jesuits. My, my school was the Congregation of St. Croix, which is a, a different order. But uh, I find that the, they seem to also, you know, they have an openness to discussion, yeah. which it, uh, you don't normally associate with the Catholic faith. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and uh, but uh, they uh, they did a very good job of doing what my parents hired them to do and giving me a very good secular education uh, and you know, making sure that I at least understood how their faith works. And also there was a a little whirlwind tour when I was in 11th grade of all of the world's religions uh, where they they told us the basics Mm -hmm. of how Hinduism works, how Buddhism works, how Taoism works and all. And uh, that was basically what made me an atheist because I was like, there is no possibility. One is wrong. Yeah, there's no possibility that all these are correct. And the only reason that I am in a a Christian school is because I was born in this particular place and time. And so this this doesn't make any sense. And when I brought that up to the brothers, they were like, you know, you have a valid point. The only way that you can reconcile this is between you and God. Yeah. And, and uh and, and I have a lot of respect for the fact that they replied to me in that way. Absolutely. Uh, because a lot of because uh, uh, a lot of Christians, particularly the evangelicals and all, would have just freaked right the fuck out. Stifled I mean, it, they would suppressed have it. Not been able to deal with it at all. Yeah. So uh but but of course the Catholics have a very long history of doing just dealing that. with things like that so uh well i mean it's now they're not always doing it right not at all so it's it's no it's you're absolutely right it's you know I, yeah i took a religions of the world class at uga 
had to learn about all the religions and I was an atheist at the time. Now I do, I do believe in God again. It, it took me a long time. Maybe it's just enough trauma will make you eventually you have to believe in it because otherwise I'd go crazy. But you know, after, after losing my brother and it took me, you'll, you will really appreciate the next reading then. Yeah. It's, 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 and, but when, like, I remember taking religions of the world at UGA and like, I didn't believe any of it, but I also understood that I needed an elective and this was a history course and the, the, the professor wasn't saying, and this is right and this is wrong. That's fine. I just, just learn the course and just take the education and understand it. But when, when, when a system of belief, no, you can't question it. You can't be an atheist. If a system or an ideology cannot co, you know, it's kind of like uh, right. Like an, like an alpha male, or the king doesn't have to say he's the king. If you have to say you're the king, you're not the king, right? It's just raw power. Yeah. You know, Dale doesn't have to say, I'm a, a lethal Delta Force operator. Dale just exists. And when you're around him, you know he can kill you and everyone there. He doesn't have to say it. He just is, right? If an ideology cannot exist. You can sense it through the goddamn screen. Exactly. Trust me. Yeah. And in person, you're like, oh, wow, I would be gone before I knew it. But with like, with something like an ideology, when it can't exist, in the when it has to suppress everything else, and it has to say wrong, you can't. To me, that's the strongest ideology is the one that you can go. I don't believe it, and you say, well, that's between you and your god, or or non god, or whatever mm -hmm. you believe in, and whatever belief you come to, that's for you and for you alone. If you'd like to believe in this this is what our teachings are and this is where you can believe it and maybe subscribe to it for a while maybe try it on like a shirt maybe you don't like it to me that that says that's a strong confident ideology where they're like you don't have to that's fine you know you don't have to watch yeah. this podcast you don't have to subscribe that's fine do you it's yeah i just think there's something it's just maybe inherently weak about about ever about shutting down all other thought to me that just you can't shut it all down it's gonna pop up like whack-a-mole it's gonna pop up you cannot mm -hmm. you know you cannot stop it yeah well it's uh starting in the around 500 a.d uh, after the council of nicaea and the uh one of the most prominent uh, subdivisions of Christianity before the Council of Nicaea was the Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. Mm -hmm. And the thing about the Gnostics is they solved the problem of evil. Their solution to it was that God is either evil or insane. That's why there is evil in the world. And their interpretation of what happened uh, with Jesus was that the Holy Spirit is the force that is trying to bring God the Father back into sanity and the universe back into balance. And that it's uh, an uphill battle. Because this is actual, after all, this was originally Yahweh from the Old Testament, who was a right evil bastard. I mean, there's mm -hmm. no other way to look at it. Um, and that uh, Jesus was, you know, his, his 
coming and his uh, sacrifice was one of the mechanisms by which to attempt to correct the fact that God was off his rocker. Now, yeah, and there were various versions of this, you know, the deferred and different details, but that's the basic premise of Gnosticism. And, and, and the other thing about Gnosticism was that the only way you could actually know this, uh, that you could actually know the truth of the whole thing was to be contacted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would touch you and give you the understanding of what the situation is. And uh, that was the gnosis. Now, there is a direct link between the gnosis from Gnosticism and the uh, being saved baptismal rite mm -hmm. that the Baptists and various evangelicals do today. Uh, not that any of them have any fucking clue where it came from. Uh, but uh, the thing is, the Gnostics were considered a very dangerous heresy because they made way too much sense. Uh, and so what happened is every couple of hundred years, starting in the five or six hundreds, there would be a Gnostic heresy that would arise. It would develop a large following. And the, you know, originally it was the remnants of the Roman Empire and then the Catholic Church would uh, send, uh, you know, a edict out to annihilate it. And so there would be a massacre. And uh, one of the big culminations of that was the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, of which Mark Twain made a, a great big deal because it's like, you know, two million people were massacred by their neighbors you know, all acting in concert, like it was a big conspiracy on the same morning. And he was like, what kind of species does this? He was, yeah. he, he, he was just like, he was obsessed by the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. And that was one of the suppressions of the Gnostic heresy. And the Gnostic heresy refused to go away, no matter how many millions of people they killed until the enlightenment came along and gave them an even better reason to not believe in the orthodox teachings um so the the, the whole thing is uh like you said it, it it's 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 weakness that uh, a religion can't take this. And, and if you look at the way Islam reacts, then sure. this is a particular complaint that is not specific to them because they're Islam or because of anything they've done or anything, but it's like, no, if you can't stand the fact that a person born to your adherence decides he doesn't like your faith, is the problem with that person or is the problem with your faith? Yeah. And, and, and that is, that is the thought that could get you killed in yeah. 
probably about a fifth or a fourth of the landmass of the world right now if you yeah. were dumb enough to express it out loud. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I know a lot of, because it's kind of where I was raised and a large portion of the people I know, their families and extended families are of that belief. And a lot of them don't like Pope Francis because he's seen as... Now, I'm someone who, yes, I, I do believe in a god. I don't believe in uh, Roman Catholicism. I don't believe in Islam. I, I, I believe there's something. I don't I don't know what. And I don't... Kind of like we said earlier, I don't want to put like a course on it. I don't want to say this is what it is. I just believe yeah. it's kind of there. A lot of them don't like Pope Francis because he's seemed too liberal. But to me, a guy that comes out and says, you know, it's okay to be gay or, you know, gays go to heaven too. To me, all that does is that's as a 30 year old, a relatively young person. All that does to me is that that strengthens my image of the church, at least to me, that says that's someone that's Mm -hmm. okay with. Yeah. You know, it's my girlfriend can't go out to the bar. She has to stay with me. Well, you're very unconfident in her attraction and love and faithfulness to you. It's so when a when a pope says it's okay for people yeah. to be gay, to me that just you can't says, stand for yeah you can't stand for your girlfriend to be having a conversation with another man. Maybe you have a little insecurity problem there. Yeah, and and where is that insecurity based? Or where do you fall short? And is that something that you can improve upon instead of just squashing? Yeah. So when the pope <laughs> says gay people go to heaven, to me that that says that there's a guy that's confident in his faith. It doesn't Fran- say the Fran- Francis has impressed me. I mean, I, I still have my areas of disagreement with him, of course, sure. but uh, you know, he he strikes me as as a human who is really doing his best to express what he thinks the Godhead should be. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, and I say that with a great deal of respect. I mean, uh, and as an atheist, as someone who has really not a hell of a lot of respect for religion nowadays, uh, I was really interested and uh, and very pleasantly surprised when he became pope. And he he's only done a couple of things that have disappointed me since then. And those haven't been major i mean it's like i know the 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 actual liberals that i hang around with have been outraged by a few things and i'm just like look you want a pope that is not a jackass then uh be you know be thankful for what you have yeah this is a person that at least a billion people are going to take their marching orders from and he is a good man yeah he's he's doing his best yeah, uh, and, and and I have I have to say I respect the hell out of that. Yeah, it's like it's like a month or two ago when when Bernie came out and said big tech should unban Trump because that's you know a way to fight ideology is not through suppress. I respect the fuck out of that. That doesn't make to me that doesn't yeah. that's gonna make us weaker if we let Trump. To me, that just says there's a guy that's confident in his beliefs is that he can say. They don't ban them, bring them back. You know, no, I, he really believes the solution for bad ideas is more good ideas. It is. And, it's, a, it's a free, you know, you don't, you don't. You know, and people on the right don't appreciate that about Bernie is, is, is that, no, he actually is a guy who believes in this shit and has the confidence of his convictions. Uh, and uh, that's, I don't, I personally don't agree with him on that. I think, you know, uh, 
the toxicity in the environment lately has been so great that extraordinary measures might be needed. But on the other hand, I might be wrong about that. Yeah. And, you know, Bernie is like, I am, and, and the thing is, I have no problem uh, disagreeing with Bernie sure. about that. I think the two of us could probably get together and have a conversation about it and be very civil as we discuss our differences on whether this is a reasonable thing to do or not. Exactly. And to me, that's that's the crux of all of it is is our abilities to talk and to agree and to disagree. And it's always, I, I guess I always point to, you know, growing up and Catholics and most of my friends. And I mean, in high school, I was very liberal. I was an atheist. Mm -hmm. And we would always kind of joke about how people were freaking out about gay marriages. And we would always just say, like, don't get one. You know, if you're not, <laughs> if you, it's fine. No, you don't have to get one. You can stay mm -hmm. happily married in a heterosexual relationship. You don't have to get one. To me, I, I kind of extrapolate that to current events. To me, it's like you don't have to like that person. Unfollow them on Instagram, block them, don't watch it. Yeah. If I don't like a channel, I change it. If I'm listening to an audiobook and it's not for me, I turn off the audiobook. It's just tune yeah. out. And it's well, you know what is what is that person? There, I think, I think when you suppress something, no matter how toxic it is is I think by suppressing it what you do is sure on the surface it, it may seem we're removing this cancer from society but in my humble opinion what you're doing is you're well you're one in their mind you're martyring them which makes them seem mm -hmm. all the more self-righteous and two by removing it from the public square where people are talking about these groups then go into obscure side channels where they ferment and they come into their own thing and then there's no external if you're on if i'm on instagram and i post a picture of a swastika you don't need a ban everyone it. knows you don't need a ban yeah. it the number of people that are like you fucking the number of girls that won't fuck me hey eventually <laughs> if i've got a if i've got an, a working brain eventually i'll go eh, maybe that's not the ideology like it doesn't need to be ban now if you ban me i go oh they're trying to hide the truth and then me and a bunch of other guys that get banned, we all get together and they're like, they're trying to fight us. Versus if you let my podcast stay up and don't ban any episodes, let it fail for its merits. And that will have more enough effect on me than anything else. If you ban it, I'll go, they're trying to hide the truth. If you just leave the episode up and mm -hmm. I see that I lose subscribers and I don't get any views on it, I go, oh, okay, it doesn't work. It, it to me removing it it doesn't you have to leave right. it open to exposure and challenge by other things and people that you might say well they're too susceptible there's there are people that are too susceptible hey man if there are people that are too susceptible then there's not they're not saving them those are the same people that are going to walk off the edge of the flat earth like they're done all right you're not going to save them that's mm -hmm. that's kind of my two cents on it but again even that is just an opinion and that's my opinion if I may make a suggestion, I think we should do uh, our reading because I think you'll find it. I, I had no idea we were going to get onto this topic, but I think you'll find it weirdly relevant. Okay. Uh, how? Uh, because I can you give me an can you give me an estimate of, of how long? I'm tired as fuck right now. Can you give me an estimate of how long the reading will be? 
Uh, well, it's going to be about uh, four or five thousand words. So, so what's that? Uh, maybe twenty minutes, half an hour. Okay. All right. Let, let me pee real quick. Yeah, and we'll get to it. Ooh, Roger. Monologue. Hey, uh, as Tommy always asked me to uh, remind everyone, if you like, uh, if you would like a copy of his favorite book, uh, my novel, The Metamorphosis Prime and the Light by Roger Williams, uh, you can get it from Amazon uh, and other booksellers. But uh, I would really appreciate it if you would go to Lulu. Lulu.com and get it from them. It's a little less convenient, but uh, and it uh, it's going to cost you the same. Um, but because of the contracts that made it possible for me to get an ISBN and to get it published uh, on uh, Amazon, they have to charge the same price, even though it doesn't. You know, they don't they don't have the cut that the book industry takes. So what happens if you buy it directly from Lulu? They're the publisher of origin. I get that money. So if you buy it from Amazon, you get about a buck fifty. If you buy it from Lulu, I get more like six dollars. So uh, it's a tiny bit less convenient for you. Costs the same. But uh, just letting you know that's what happens. Frankly, if you want to get it from Amazon anyway, that's fine. I get most of my revenue from them. And if you want an ebook, if you uh, want any of the other formats, uh, Amazon's fine there because uh, for those things, they are the publisher of Origin. So you might as well just buy it from them. Um, so, anyway, uh, that's the spiel I normally do while. Tommy is taking a tinkle. Roger, Roger, Roger. Hey. There's a uh, minimal, minimal dead time. There is a, uh, I was listening to Tim Dillon. He was playing these, you know, the song, the Jay-Z song, you know, Welcome to New York. Welcome to New York. These streets will be bap, bap, bap. And there was like a, somebody made their own version. But it was like a spoiled kid from New York. The point is, is there was a funny long line. It was like, welcome to New York. Get good grades because the teachers are paid off. Fuck you, Bernie Madoff. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Another one was... And then it was like the trashier version of New York. It was like Jersey. And it was like, we're stealing our cable. Brother OD'd at the table. Welcome to the <laughs> These streets will inspire you. Get high while we're hiffing, huffing glue. Not that that had anything to do with anything we're talking about. Um, yeah, well, whatever. All right. So I will, we I are. Will, I will fight you, Roger. We are, we are due. You know, it took me a while for me to understand that for you, that's the term of endearment. What? I will fight you. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's love. That was like... That's love. I, I will fight. I yeah. said it to my mom. I'll tell her the about... The culture that I came from, it, it was, uh, 
people don't do that. Oh, that I, say just, it, I say it to my mom. I'll be like, Mom? Yeah. You? No, to me, that's, 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 that's it's all, it's all love. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah. I, I finally figured that out, you know, like three months ago. It's like, oh, wait, you know, no, it's no, not it's like not that actual... going crazy on me. No, this is a term of endearment. No, yeah, no. If I say that, okay. or if I, if I tell yeah. someone, if I say, will you shut the fuck up for once in your goddamn life? To me, that's like, to me, that's no different than saying like, like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, you're someone's telling a story. You're like, yeah, yeah. To me, sometimes it just pops up. You'll be telling a story and I'll be like, will you shut the fuck up for once in your goddamn life? To me, it's yeah, just like. you that a couple of times it to means me too. Nothing. It's like, yeah, it, but I, it, I figured it out. I if, figured it out. If totally I'm, different culture here. <laughs> if I'm comfortable enough to say it around you, then that means I respect you and I and I and I and I think that we're close. If I'm sitting here not talking and I'm just smiling, that means you're a new guest and I'm kind of uptight and I don't know how to treat you. If I'm sitting here and you start talking and I'm like, "Fuck off." That's, you know, that's that's love. That's that's in that I remember when I transferred to, we'll get to the reading in a second. When I transferred Appreciate to it. when I transferred <laughs> to to high school in Maine my junior year because my dad's job it was moving from, you know, deep south where, you know, for ho- southern hospitality, although most of, most of it's just a facade, it still exists. And I remember moving up north and I remember this kid Hayden looking at me and he said like, "What's up, pussy?" And I just remember thinking, I was like, what did I do to deserve that? I was like, I don't think I'm necessarily weak. Like, I don't know this individual. Why do, but I realized that was just like, what's up, bro? But he was like, what's up, pussy? I'm going to take your fucking money. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, I was like, why is this guy threatening me? And like, I later learned, it took me months, but I learned, I was like, oh, that's that that's a term of endearment. Like, yeah, definitely got to <laughs> learn it. So with that, Roger, I will fight you. Definitely for there. Let's, All do, right. let's do the reading. Okay. So... This is Revelation Passages, episode four. Revelation four, the Ark of the Aeon. And within the story, this begins part seven. I'm not sure whether the legacy of my long, long life as a machine or whether it's something most other biological humans could do, but I hardly ever get wakened by the alarm clock. I had it set for 20%, and I woke up, focused my eyes, and saw it flip from 19.96 to 19.97 as I hit the stop pad. Perhaps it's just because I don't sleep very well. I kissed my sleeping wife, quietly dressed, and hailed a ground car. It was almost 25%. The home star was coming up when I reached my destination. The ground car was not quite smart enough to ask why I was coming to this place. I walked a quarter click to the entrance kiosk and found a sign there. Annihilation Bay Tidal Borbs Observation Station. Current status. Closed due to peristellar parabaton spring high tide. Annihilation Bay was an interesting result of the deluge that occurred when all that water was taken out of the atmosphere and put back into Alpha's oceans. Two large oceans were separated by two continents. We were in the process of colliding. Once the oceans were refilled, the dry land masses were joined by a short, narrow isthmus that was really just a mountain range sticking up out of the water. The continental collision made for a very shallow and extensive continental shelf so that the tidal bore rose to massive heights as it entered the bay leading to the isthmus. 
the mountain range that formed the isthmus had been worn down during the years of Alpha's Venus-like sojourn. And at the thinnest point in ancient sedimentary deposit, it had its originally horizontal layers tilted almost vertical. These consisted of alternating layers of sandstone and granite. And when the tide came for them, the sandstone yielded, but the granite held. The result was a series of tall, narrow canyons, which the tide would enter with terrific force about twice a day. The canyons were broader and wider where the tide entered, and the early erosion had occurred, becoming more chaotic and destructive further toward the other sea. It was called Annihilation Bay because no probe, no matter how carefully toughened, had ever survived the trip through the isthmus during the tidal bore. On the far side, there was a 100-meter-high cliff where the sea exploded into showers of spray from countless caves and outlets every time the phenomenon occurred. Within a relatively short time, perhaps less than 10,000 years, the rest of the sandstone would give way and the sea would simply roar through, no longer dammed up to such incredible heights. I ducked under the chain across the entrance and made my way downstairs, which wound between taller and taller walls of rock to the floor of the canyon. Then I hiked across two kilometers of tidal flat toward the observation platform. This was a reinforced shelf at the top of more stairs hanging from the side of a narrow fin of granite almost 30 meters tall in the center of the tidal bore channel. When my brothers used their superior technology to settle this place, the Borden reminded them that a human bringer was a tradition on every human world of this galaxy. My brothers, in their superior wisdom, decided not to do it the Borden way, though. Instead of being conspicuously introduced as a kind of royalty, I'd be just an everyman, an observer and participant that nobody else would have cause to notice. It wasn't even a fundamentally bad idea. But the Borden had more experience than my brothers in this kind of matter. And when my brothers told them of their plans, they ran those simulations they aren't supposed to have and said I had a 67% chance of committing suicide. The Borden had sensibly decided that my brother's obsession with Reykjavik had no place in the psyche of a mortal human. My brothers had impairing themselves down to my size kept it my brothers do not sleep though and they had not anticipated the nightmares my fellow humans do not realize how much my brothers control this world this being their second chance they know the promise of total non-interference is no longer operative but they don't realize just how much of the planet's subsurface is nanomachinery this is partly because of a clever dodge. My brothers rarely deal directly with the human population of home. Instead, they drafted the Borden to be their representatives. The Borden accepted this role quite gracefully, and most of my fellow humans are allowed to hold the mistaken impression that they are running the world. I am alone among my fellow humans in knowing otherwise and in being able to summon up a communication channel and talk to my brothers in the outer system at will. But most of their advice as to how to deal with my psychological problem has been ineffective. So I was at Annihilation Bay with a harness, a strap, and a tiny little plan. Once every 27 years, it turns out that Beta is its closest approach to Alpha. Alpha is, is, is at its closest approach to the star. And that 
These close approaches are designed just right to resonate with the highly sensitive geometry of Annihilation Bay. The water would overwhelm the visitor center built 25 meters up on a granite fin in the center of the bay. But the fin rose another five meters above the observation station, and there was an iron ring up there, fastened to the solid granite. I would clip my strap to that ring and my harness to the strap, and I would ride out the tidal bore, not knowing for sure whether it might rise high enough to kill me anyway. The whole system is very chaotic and unpredictable. But this was the closest thing Alpha offered to let me experience the images of my nightmares and perhaps to become able to master them. I was about three-fourths of the way from the edge of the bay to the observation fin when I felt the hair on the back of my neck rise. I turned around and I saw that I was being followed. I blinked and realized that the person who had closed within five meters of me was my wife. What in the hell are you doing here, I yelled. The board embassy called and they told me you were coming here and that I should meet you. Oh, my brothers were so clever. They had seen what I had not yet really admitted to myself, that I knew it would be very easy to make a mistake setting up the harness or for it to simply fail. A lot of people knew of my nightmares, if not the reason I had them. Nobody would be too surprised at this act if the tide took me well. Nobody would be likely to ask me if maybe I conveniently forgot to attach the strap to the ring. The point of the exercise is lost if there is no real risk. If the worst occurs, no blame. But now such a suicide was no longer an option. My wife was crazy, but it wouldn't be fair for me to cut her already puny self-imposed lifespan to 10% of what she might have reasonably expected. The ground was already beginning to vibrate ever so slightly. I yelled, run! What? Run or you'll die! I would have sent her back to, but the fin was much closer. We scrambled up the steps, and when we get to the observation platform, I started climbing up the bare rock. The ground was now shaking very noticeably. What are you doing? We have to climb, woman. This is the highest of the high tides. It will wash over this platform. Her eyes went wide. Then what are you doing here? Oh, that was a long story, wasn't it? Get up here, and if we live through this, I'll tell you. That got her attention. She's a bit nutty on some ancient fairy tale involving a horribly murdered carpenter, but she's in fine physical shape. I had only brought one harness, but it was very adjustable. It was actually designed to protect people from falling off of elevated platforms. I picked a foothold so that we could brace ourselves against being knocked over. The harness was designed to tighten itself around a single person, and it crushed us together in a way that would have been quite pleasant in other circumstances. Is this about your nightmares? About Ray Vic? Smart woman, I said. Then I'm glad to be with you. You shouldn't face your fear alone, and I know you don't believe in God. We could die here. We'll die anyway. Better for it to be with you if this is what you need. 
I find the notion that craziness can make you noble deeply disturbing, and this wasn't helping. Now we could hear it coming, a steady crashing roar that continued becoming louder every moment for long moments after it seemed more loudness was impossible. And then it was upon us, a wall of water 20 meters high. And this was just the tip of the bore. It crashed against the observation fin and in an instant we were soaking wet. It's not even close, she said. The water level is a good 10 meters below us. It's only starting, I warned. Sure enough, the water rose, and in much less than a percent, it was threatening to top the fin. It rose more slowly the higher it rose, but it was rushing fast, and suddenly we were in the middle of a wide river that wanted to sweep us towards 60 kilometers of lethal rapids. How high will it get? She shouted. Unknowable. It's too chaotic. Even the Brig Borden can't predict. She hugged me. And I hugged her, and the water was half a meter deep, then a meter, then a meter and a half, and the strap was getting tight, and the current was trying very hard to drag us under. And then, quite suddenly, there was no current at all. We were standing in water up to our chests, and it was perfectly calm. I looked up, and the sky was filled with color. Look, my wife cried, rainbows. There wasn't just a rainbow. The air was completely saturated with water, and it was a bright, cloudless morning. Every possible refraction mode was accounted for. There were arcs of color everywhere. Although I understood the general theory, I had never quite seen such a dramatic display of the phenomenon. It's your sign. What? From God. The Bible teaches that God wants to destroy the human race for our wickedness and that he used a flood to do it. One righteous man and his wife were allowed to survive. Afterward, God sent the rainbow as his promise that he would never again use water to destroy mankind. Look, there's your promise. For a moment, I was filled with quiet rage. I knew just a teensy bit more than my darling wife could ever hoped to know about the promises made by gods to mortals. But before I could say anything, I heard a voice saying quite clearly, she's right. I don't believe for an instant that this was the voice of a pretend cloud being. We knew for hundreds of millions of years before my brothers left the Milky Way that biological brains are much more flaky and unstable than the optimized simulations we create digitally. In this case, the voice was just another part of my personality, perhaps one I'd been ignoring or suppressing. Suddenly, my consciousness was focused on the fact that I was with her, that we had just come within 30 centimeters of dying, that we were alive, and both she and the world were both fascinating and very beautiful. It had gotten very quiet. So am I such a righteous man as this guy God decided to save? You must be. He saved you and he sent you rainbows. God sends you messages all the time, Tom. You just need to look for them. At that, I allowed myself to suppose that her crucified carpenter God might have even sent me a message. Surely he couldn't do any worse than my own brothers who had failed so spectacularly in the rather basic matter of creating me. And then at last I saw what I needed to see. The people at Reykjavik hadn't died because they were defective. 
they hadn't died because I was going to fail them again. They had died because they were tired. Many of them were old enough to remember a living, vibrant world with still a billion humans upon it. They had problems I saw that made my little nightmares look like the monsters in the closet problem of a three-year-old. When they finally said enough, we were shocked to our core. But the miracle was that they held on as long as they did. The miracle is that humans have that strength. In some ways, it is easier for a biological human to fight the inevitable than to yield quietly. And that is proven over and over as Minervan society acknowledged the genius of our species. In a percent or so, the water dropped so that we actually had a little rocky island again. It would take at least 30% to drop enough for us to hike back to the park entrance where we could call for a ground car. She pulled her shirt over her head. Maybe we should get out of these wet clothes, she said and winked mischievously. I grinned and kissed her and pulled my shirt over my head. That's the end of part four. In episode five, the queen of the galaxy. That was beautiful. That was <laughs> that was much more cheery than than last week's. That was. <laughs> that was though. That was. My my favorite part was you'll die. So we're all gonna die anyway. I thought that I don't know why I thought that was that was outstanding. That's what I always think is, you know, even if the podcast works and I become a billionaire, we're still going. There's no way that they're still mm-hmm. they're still going. I thought that was beautiful, Roger. Seriously. I thought that was wonderful. And it was... I like that. Thank you. Well, and I think considering our topic of discussion leading up, the fact that uh, our immortal character had a little, you know, almost literally come to Jesus moment. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's... Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me of Dr. Eben Alexander, the Harvard neurosurgeon I've had on this podcast, who had that, uh, who's in that coma, kind of experienced God. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, sometimes you just need some like insane shit to happen to you, some near-death shit, and it allows you to perceive something that doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, Roman Catholicism, but sometimes you can have a little experience that it's like, oh, maybe there is something else. And it, it kind of takes away a little bit of the cynicism. That got you kind of quiet. Huh? <laughs> that got you kind of quiet. No, I liked it. I, I, I really I really did like it. Why are you just staring at me? Rogers, just for everybody listening, Rogers just staring at me. <laughs> you just said, "Well, I liked it." Oh well, not no, that. Well, that yeah. was like uh, without any elaboration or anything. No, it's, it's, like, I, I don't. Well, I don't. 
<laughs> I don't think it needs to be elaborated. It just, I liked it. Yeah. I thought you would. I did. I'm, Partic- I'm, I'm glad we did it Particularly after the... Particularly after the lead-in discussion that we had, I, I, I really thought that you would like that. Uh, and you're bearing in mind that I wrote that back in like 2006. Yeah. So it's not like I wrote it for this discussion yeah. today or yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, you didn't write it while I was in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, we need, we, need, we need to make something positive about religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but yeah, it's and that's uh, you know, and that's in the context of the. A lot of people wouldn't say it's a post singularity society because of uh, the lack of modalities, but really, it is actually a post singularity society if you assume that the the laws of physics that we have available us to now is the whole tablet um and uh you know that that is the passages future history um that will become really apparent what what's what is possible in the next and final installment um so well, no, I thought I thought it was pertinent because I've, I've had dreams this whole I've had weird dreams this whole week of like where I'm like dying and I'm like aware that I'm there's something, you know, either it's like a firing squad or it's a tidal wave or it's like a plane going down. And in the dreams, obviously, I never remember that. I don't, I don't know I'm in a dream, but in the dreams, I've, I've yeah. they've had these weird kind of religious like themes where it's like. I accept that this is the end and that I don't know what's coming next, but I have faith it's going to work out well. And I wake up in my bed and sure. At first you can go, Oh, it was just a dream. But you know, why can't you look at it like the opposite of that? Why can't you look at it as like everything did turn out well? Why was that? Why is that just a dream? How come that can't be reality? How come this isn't the afterlife that I'm in right now? You know? It's mm-hmm. if I wake up from this life, if I die and I wake up, do I just write this whole thing off as a dream? Felt pretty real, whether or not it was physically real or not. I mean, getting into med school, losing a sibling, becoming buddies with you, like, seemed real. It, for all intents and purposes, it was real. I learned a lot. And I've been having dreams of, like, just dying. And I finally, in my dreams, I'm like, I'm scared, but I'm just like... I'm like, it's going to be okay. I don't know what exists on the other side of the event horizon, but I think I'm going to be okay. And you could argue that waking up in my bed, being my own boss, doing a podcast for a living, is that not heaven? Am I not waking up into heaven? Where I'm like, ah, it's all good. I'm going to go for a walk. It's nice and sunny outside. I'm going to walk to the gym. I'm going to work out. I'm going to come back. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to do a podcast and play. Is that not heaven? Have I not woken up into heaven after each bad dream? I don't know. It's I don't know. Closer than some approximations. I mean, it, it's. I feel like I've woken up into heaven. So it's. I don't know. Just some weird themes, I guess, are kind of existing in the back of my head. But I've been having repetitive dreams about that, where I'm just like, I don't know what's on the other side, but I'm like, I think it's going to be okay. And I wake up, and it's it's okay. Yeah, well. Yeah, that that other side thing is uh, 
That's a that, that that's a real event horizon. What's on the other yeah. fucking side of that thing, baby? It's <laughs> you can get you can learn physics, you can do math, you can become a singer, you can do whatever, you can win seven Super Bowls. What's on the other side of that fucking waterfall? What is on the yeah. other side of that thing, man? I can't help but think whatever it is is it's gonna be okay. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's there's no guarantees. No. That's you know, uh, we- I had a coworker who dropped dead uh, in the course of mowing his lawn. He was just, and and he was forty. And uh, he was pushing the lawnmower and then keeled over. Turned out he had uh, 99% blocked LAD, lateral anterior descending coronary artery, affectionately known as the Widowmaker. Yeah. Uh, I had a 85% blocked LAD which was discovered seven years ago and had an angiogram and had a stent in place. So, uh, I've had the real life demonstration and been saved from it because I would have almost, uh, if I had not, if I'd ignored the fact that my blood pressure suddenly went through the roof, I would almost certainly be dead today. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we are, but I also know that I have this disease and a rich person can just have themselves roto-rootered every year. It costs about $30,000 in the United States lot less in other areas of the world you know 12 grand i can't afford to do that so it's like can i convince my insurance company that there are enough risk factors that have accumulated in the last seven years because we're getting to the point now where you start to worry about reocclusion and you know you're probably more aware of this than most people are uh but got an appointment with my cardiologist uh week after next fuck yeah so we'll see meanwhile uh yeah so yeah i mean that's i used to be terrified that death would be blaze of pain that would be the last thing that I ever experienced and after you know that David's death and and my experience I realized that actually it could just be like someone turns out a light switch Mm -hmm. and you don't even see it coming you're just minding your business doing your thing and then uh, yeah, you don't suffer. You just go poof with no warning. And I find that more terrifying. Really? Well, 
it's a control issue. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess I don't know. I, I kind of look at it as like there's no way of knowing what's on the other side. There's no way of preparing for it. You can't bring a a backpack full of shit with you to the afterworld. So yeah, my logic you is you can't take it with you. Well, my logic is this. So there's someone a, tell Bill Gates that he doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> my logic is this. <laughs> We have no idea what's on the other side, if there even is an other side. If there is an other side, we don't know if it's good or bad. We don't know what is there. We cannot prepare for it. We cannot bring anything. There's absolutely nothing you can do. Therefore, the only control and effect we can have on it is our acceptance of it on this side. Maybe it's hell. Maybe there's nothing but hell. There's no heaven. I'd rather just believe that there's a heaven because there is a real effect and that I can have an enjoyable life if I know, hey, I think there's heaven tomorrow. It's, you know, whenever I would get like a test back that I didn't know the score of and I didn't think I did too well, I would never look at it until Monday. If the test, someone would be like, tests are up on Friday. You know, they put your scores online for you to look at like privately. People would be like, tests are up. To me, the test is already up. It's Schrodinger's cat. Or Schrodinger's box, whatever the fuck it is. Schrodinger's test score. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no. To me, it was the test is up. There's nothing I can do about this. It's already past midway in the semester, so I can't drop the course. The test score is there. I'm going to go out to the bars this weekend. My friends are coming in town. And instead of sitting around going, fuck, I got an F on the test, I'm just going to assume I did good and enjoy this weekend now because the test score exists. What do I want to have a bad weekend or a good weekend? So I'd have a good weekend. Sometimes I did get an A. Sometimes I failed, but I didn't spoil the weekend. So my logic is this. I don't know what's on the other side. I'm going to assume it's great because that does have an effect on my life today. I sleep easier. I'm more forgiving. I'm more open-minded. I am less anxious when I accept that there's a loving God and an eternal bliss on the other side. All else is madness. Now, now, if it had an effect that that made me lazy and it made me a bad person, I would say, well, maybe there is a real effect. But when all it does is give me peace of mind, why would I assume it's bad? Why would I? There's absolutely nothing I can do to a plane if it starts going down. I'm not a pilot. I'm never going to get on a plane and assume <laughs> this thing's probably going to go to a mountainside. No, I assume that I'm going to take a Benadryl and wake up at my destination. All else is madness. Why? Why would what 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 point is there in assuming that it's going to be bad or evil or scary? That's at least how I look at it. I'm just like I never go to bed going probably going to have a nightmare. No, I just assume I'm going to wake up because that makes me more at peace yep. now, and that's what I can control. Well, that's a reasonable way to approach it. Yeah. So I don't know. I figure when facing a black hole event horizon oh, that is the end of human life that there's no escaping we're all going over the waterfall we're at different parts in the river we're all going over why would I at least not try to not check my test score now just assume it's going to be good because that makes today better and that's a real effect you can have an effect on that right yeah all right, that's. I like that. Yeah. I mean, what? Are you going to get to hell and go? Told you, Roger. I told you it was hell. I told you it was all going to be. 
Like, why are you celebrating that? <laughs> ha! I told you it sucked. You know? No, just assume it's good. Well, I always figured if I ended up in hell, it would be like, well, at least I'm where all the interesting people are. Yeah, that's a good point. It's Bill Hicks's point, right? <laughs> he was like, you know, it might be a lake of fire, but at least I'll be in the lake of fire with Van Halen or whatever. You know? It was yeah. like some it was cool- like... Yeah. I don't know, man. So, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, we'll end with Bill Hicks. Might be able to finally let Isaac Asimov know that he inspired me. <laughs> yeah, right? It's, yeah. Well, it's like, again, what Bill Hicks said. He goes, he goes, all the non-smokers go to hell. He goes, because that's hell. You go down there and they go, I just can't stand smoking. I mean, my body's a temple. All I do is, it's like, that's hell, is listening to people talk like that. He goes, you know what heaven is? <laughs> There's people that know that, hey, smoke them if you got them. You get up there and you re- you go up to, you know, St. Peter. And he goes, yeah, these aren't clouds. This is cigarette smoke. And then you go in and then he goes, he goes, he goes, come on in. Hendrix is on harp tonight. That's heaven. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I don't know. Like, eh. And how crazy would it be if your mind actually does create reality and you go to heaven if yeah, you believe yeah. a heaven exists and you go to hell if you believe a hell exists? I mean, how shitty would that be if all you had to do is be a little positive and then it would manifest? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I, I, I'm assuming you probably never saw the series Lucifer, no. which uh, was 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 really funny. It's a very fun series. It was based on a comic book, but uh, Satan uh, comes down to Earth and decides to retire. He says he's he's, he's basically. Uh, done up with ruling hell and uh settles in los angeles and one of the you know there there are many many threads to it it's really a hilarious series but one of the threads is how hell works and so uh there are actually a couple of scenes set in hell and it's not a lake of fire it's a series of little rooms and lucifer himself explains there aren't even any locks you know you just walk out, but no one ever does, because what happens in these little rooms is you re-experience the thing that got you sent to hell over and over and over again. The worst thing you ever did. But what if you're a psychopath and the thing you did is what you get off to? Well, they didn't really cover that what if you went they, to hell? what uh, if you went to hell for rape and you're a rapist then are you in heaven because you just get to relive your experience they probably have some way to poison the do, well do the 911 uh, hijackers get to fly into the planes or fly into the buildings every day they might like that yeah <laughs> well some of them would yeah actually you know bin, La- bin laden suggested in one of his uh Broadcast that not all of the uh, terrorists knew that it was a suicide mission. Well, that's what you get for blindly following higher ups to bring this podcast so, full circle. <laughs> that's what you get yeah. for not questioning and just trying to really? get the good grades. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it dawns on you mid flight. You're like, Oh, fuck. I mean, I don't know, man. All those hijackers got prostitutes and yeah. watch. When, when, when are we going to get the hostages? So it's like, where are we going to land? It's like, it's like, and, you know, the, the, the actual ringleaders 
knew, but uh, a lot of the assistants apparently didn't know that it was a suicide mission. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, yeah, but, uh, yeah. well, like you said. I mean, hey, that's what you get for following orders from Dick Cheney. I mean, Bin Laden, you know. <laughs> Is there a difference? Hey! Da -da no. <laughs> yeah, I mean... But that, that, now you know Liz Cheney is a darling of the liberals. We get what we deserve <laughs> in, this, in this country, okay? We get what we deserve. Yeah, it's like what Tim Dillon said about Ed Snowden, who I like Ed Snowden. I, I, I've read his book, Permanent Record. I, I do support what he did. I think it was, I do think it was the patriotic thing. But that's another episode for another time. But Tim Dillon said, he goes, imagine you're Ed Snowden, right? You're making six figures, living in Hawaii, working for the NSA, CIA, top clearances. You're set for life. You see this this unconstitutional wiretapping program, and you, you're going to inform the public. And you know it's going to come, at the very least, at the cost of your job and citizenship. It might kill you. It might lend you in jail. Best case scenario, you go live in an embassy, some other nation, for the rest of your life. He goes, he goes, noble, and I respect it. But most people aren't as noble and intelligent as he is. He goes, I bet if I brought him to dinner with my Long Island shithead friends, my Long Island white trash friends, and we went to Denny's, and he went, all right, guys, I'm going to risk my life and salary for this, but there's an unconstitutional wiretapping program, and they're watching everything you do and collecting everything you do, so at any given point in the future, a turnkey tyranny dictator can conjure up a program that says you're guilty of x y and z and therefore you live in a police state and they would say that fucking sucks uh could i get sausages with my pancakes and he goes and then he you know what ed Snowden would probably do he'd go fuck it i'm just going back to work monday <laughs> I'm, not saving, I'm not saving these people what are you saving what are you saving you're saving people aren't worth saving i don't know it's uh so I don't know. Sometimes I look at like politics and I'm like, do we even oh. do we even deserve anything better? We're run by the Bushes and the Clintons and the Cheneys and the McCains and the Trumps. Do we deserve anything more? I think or another thing with Tim Dillon said, he goes, Trump Trump was the monster at the end of a horror story. And everyone focuses on that. But you have to remember, there was a horror story first. <laughs> He goes, there's 50 mm -hmm. years. He goes, it doesn't make Trump any less worse, but he was the monster. What up the evil the scientist and he, all of his yeah. minions and he the goes, volcano lair yeah, he and goes, all that. Trump yeah. was the monster at the end and the monster's evil, but he goes, to be a monster at the end of a horror story, there first has to be a horror story. And he goes, that was all us. <sighs> On that note, stay positive, everybody death is a black hole event horizon you might as well stay positive <laughs> because this is the only control we have Roger next week yeah. let's reconvene for part 5 alright alright brother god bless Roger hope you feel better stay safe everybody out there buy my fucking merch or, or evil will win <laughs> later Roger